O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is also greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Those are the first four verses of Psalm 6, which along with Psalm 5 are the psalms appointed for today, May the 25th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We're continuing today in our study of Ruth, 1 Timothy, and the Gospel of Luke. And remember yesterday we have this Moabite woman, Ruth, um, who has come with her mother-in-law after her after their husbands have died, and she has returned with the mother-in-law from her land and her people to the land of Israel into Bethlehem, which is where the family of Ruth had originally come from. So they come to Bethlehem, and the people there see Naomi, and they recognize her, and they say, isn't this Naomi? There's something there that's that's a little confusing because of them, but it says the whole town was stirred because of them. So she was a well-known person in Bethlehem, and that goes back to the, the comments that I was making yesterday, that the Jewish belief is is that, that her husband, Elimelech, had been a leader among the people, and that, that he had fled because of this famine and drought that had occurred, and so he fled to the land of Moab. He abandoned his people and and went to that land. And so now Naomi comes back years later, and she is with this woman. And, and they say, oh, isn't that Naomi? But the whole, it says the whole town is stirred. So they were well-known people there. And she said, no, 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 don't call me Naomi. That means pleasant, by the way. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And so the, she's acknowledging at some level that the, the flight was probably the, the, what precipitated the judgment of, of all the men in the family dying. Uh, and it makes them very vulnerable to be a widow because they no longer have claims to the land of their own. And so they're, they're vulnerable because they're poor, and now they've come back bereft. So this family had gone away, and then only thing that comes back is Naomi, and she says, don't call me that anymore. I can't stand to believe or hear the word Naomi. I, just call me the truth. Just call me bitter. I mean, how horrible is that idea of, of going out as a woman whose name means pleasant and coming back and saying, no, don't call me that anymore because now I'm bitter. So, but, but she's accepting this calamity and God's judgment and his testimony against her, she says, and, and it's because she followed her husband and went into exile in order to that, that they not share in the plight of the people of Israel, which is of itself sin. Because it's a denial of God's goodness. It's a denial of all of that. But it's also a denial of God's greatness because you think you can flee from this and go somewhere else. So he had been given, apparently, according to, to Jewish tradition, he'd been given a, a, a leadership role by God, and now he's abandoned not only the role, but also the people over whom he was supposed to lead. So Naomi returned, and, and then this is twice it says this in this passage, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. So it's recapping that, and then came to Bethlehem. And it's the beginning of the barley harvest. And so the, the crops are coming in, 
and Naomi had a relative of her husband's. This is another odd kind of pointing towards this idea of Elimelech's failure. A worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And then again, we see this, this little formulation, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi. So she's still being identified as a Moabite at this particular time. She's not considered to be a, a convert to Judaism. We're still remembering that she's a foreigner. That the, the, this, the writer is continuing to point out, oh yeah, don't, don't just call her by her name. Point back to her heritage. And the heritage is, is ignoble. <laughs> it's not noble, um, as I pointed out yesterday in the, in the podcast. I'm not going to go back through that again. If you missed it, go back a day and, and hear what I had to say about the Moabites. Um, so she says to Naomi, though, let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And we assume here that, 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 that they've had a conversation about this Boaz. And, and so she, go, she says, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So this field, this property, would have, sounds like it, it involved multiple clans all from one tribe, and that would be the tribe of Judah. And so it, it, there, she comes to the part that belongs to Boaz. And then Boaz came out from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. These are the people who work for him. He said to the young man in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And so the, the man in charge, the young man in charge, says she's the young Moabite woman, here we go again, who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. They've been keeping an eye on this woman, right? They know everything. They, she, she came, she asked this, this is what she said. She's continued from early morning till now. So she's worked hard all day except for a short rest. So they paid attention to what, what she's doing during this time. And this gleaning thing goes back to, um, to, to Jewish law. And that is the poor can glean from the fields. You're only supposed to reap certain parts of the field. You're, not, you're supposed to leave the corners of the field and allow people who are poor to come and take a portion of the, of the produce of the field. So in addition to the tithe that you provide to the temple for what you, what you grow and what you own, you also leave enough for the poor. That's a separate offering. And so Boaz, or not Boaz, but Naomi and Ruth are considered to be poor because, well, she's a, they're both widows for one thing. But nobody has a responsibility to allow Ruth to glean in the field because she's a Moabite. She's no longer married to an Israelite, so she's no longer considered sort of part of Israel vicariously. No, she's, she's just chosen to come with her mother-in-law. And so they're not obliged to let her do this. They're doing it on behalf of or the sake of Naomi. They're respecting her and allowing her daughter-in-law to do this. So Boaz, after, after he hears that story, goes to her and says, Listen, my daughter. So he's, he's accepting her into the family and says, Don't go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. So follow the young women who are part of this clan that I'm taking care of. You follow them, and, and then they'll leave enough for you. Let your eyes be on the field they're reaping and go after them, because you're not allowed, you, you can't go back through a field twice. If you miss something, then that's available for the poor as well. 
So she says, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? So she's to be left alone. Um, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? So Boaz has shown great mercy to this Moabite woman. And the Moabites are despised people among the Israelites. So why have you shown me such favor? That's not how things are done. But it is how things are supposed to be done in Israel. Because they're supposed to care for the foreigner. And so he has, Boaz is keeping the law with respect to the foreigner here. But it's surprising to her that the man who owns the field has come to her to encourage her and to accept her rather than to reject her. And Boaz answered, hey, everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been told to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you didn't know before. I know everything about you. I know all the things that you have done. I know something about your character and who you are. You, you, in other words, you've you sort of proven yourself to be more than a Moabite. <laughs> that you, you've proven yourself to be a woman who is noble. And, and then he says, The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What a beautiful thing to say to this foreign woman who has, who has made a choice to leave everything and come and follow. And now she finds acceptance here and also a man who blesses her in the name of the Lord for who she is and then says, asks that she find favor in the eyes of the Lord and that she be repaid for all the good things she's done and a full reward given because she's come to this place and she's done for all she's done. Then she says, I've found favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servants even though I'm not one of your servants. And so she, she sees the way that he treats her as an incredibly powerful testimony to the God that he serves. And so again, the, the just living out the Christian life, living out in that case the Jewish life, but living out the way we're supposed to live has been a witness to this woman in a powerful way. And, and, and that's the thing that we always need to keep in mind. We, we, we're to be filled with grace towards other people, towards those who are not in the covenant now, because we're supposed to remember what Paul said is that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. And so the more we fight against flesh and blood, the worse our witness is, to be honest with you. Jesus comes now into this, into the temple, or not the temple, in the synagogue, and we don't know which one. It just says one of the synagogues on the Sabbath in Luke's gospel. And so this woman comes who is bent over and couldn't fully straighten herself, and it's been that way for 18 years. Jesus sees her and then proclaims to her. He calls her over and says to her, Woman, you're freed from your disability. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she's made straight, and she glorified God. And then the, the ruler of the synagogue then becomes indignant because Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath. I mean, there are ways of living out the law. Boaz shows a way of graciously living out the law of God by accepting this foreigner, Ruth, and allowing her to glean behind the young women and also providing for and also praying for that the Lord would bless this foreign woman. Here, they're upset. The ruler of the synagogue is upset that Jesus has healed this woman on the Sabbath. He's interpreting the law in such a way that precludes Jesus doing what he did. And he says... There are six days in which work ought to be done. Healing is work. <clears throat> come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Do you think this woman might have come on some of those other days over the last 18 years? Nobody could have healed her. Jesus was there and he healed her because she showed up on the Sabbath and he took compassion on her in the same way that Boaz took compassion on Ruth. 
And so he, he, he wasn't bound to do that, but he did. And he, he mixed this Moabite woman in with his own servants, which is exactly what Balaam had told the king to do, Balak, in Numbers 31. So he had told him to do this very thing, and they hate Balaam forever because Moabite morality came in and it ruined the people of Israel and it caused them to ultimately go into exile because they followed this Moabite morality. And that's the reason there's always a prohibition against marrying outside of Judaism all through the Old Testament. So here we've got another law at work, but this woman is, is clearly Jewish. And this synagogue ruler doesn't care because Jesus healed her on the Sabbath. He hasn't cared about this woman for 18 years. He hasn't done anything for her in those 18 years. Jesus comes, this woman who has now got an infirmity and a deformity, and he comes in and he heals this woman, restores her and makes her whole after 18 years of suffering. And that, that's not okay with the synagogue ruler because of the day on which he did it. And so you're working on the Sabbath. And he says, you hypocrites. Don't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, and whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And so he's comparing the, the woman being tethered to her disability in the same way that a donkey is tied to the manger. But on the Sabbath, it has to have water so they, that these same people take their donkeys away from the manger, unloose them from that burden, and then take them to where there's water. And, and, and he's, he's applying it upwards and saying, this is unbelievable that you would criticize this. When you work on the Sabbath by doing that, and then say it's wrong for me to, to heal a daughter of Abraham on the same day? Seriously? That's how you look at this? And so the, the, the point being that that they're looking down on this woman in a way that 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 they're not supposed to they're supposed to rejoice that this woman has been healed they're they're missing the work of god among them it's god who's working here not some man and they're missing this and because they miss that they also then miss the fact of who he is they miss his identity because of that and then in first timothy Paul comes in and he, and he says, this is the way to live. This is the way to live. And, and, and the way to live is to pray. He says, this, this is what I'm, I'm living or leaving you with. I, I, in, a, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, apparently there had been words given about Timothy and who Timothy was and who Timothy would be. That by them you may wage the good warfare or fight the good fight, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some of, this, some of them have made shipwreck of their faith. Among them are Hamanaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. And then he says, do this. He says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high position, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. In other words, what he's saying is, is that pray that you live in a place where God can be honored. And the way to do that is by be, is by is by praying for those people. Pray that they would have forbearance. It, it acknowledges that you're, you're living as foreigners in the land uh, where you are and encourages them to pray for those foreign leaders who are, who are not sharing the same faith, that, that they would show forbearance in the same way that Boaz showed forbearance for Ruth. 
<clears throat> he says, that's good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So we do need to be praying for our leaders always. I mean, there's a lot of fear right now that the church is going to be under some sort of persecution. Well, here's the, the, the reality for that. Here's what the church needs to do and needs to be doing right now is they need to be praying for the, for the leaders of this country, all of them. And, and the prayer needs to be that we would be allowed to continue, that we would receive um, grace, forbearance, and uh, acceptance at the highest levels, even those people who who claim to be Christians, but their lives would bespeak something else. We're gonna, and that applies across the board. I'm not talking about anybody here. I'm talking about in, in all times. This is true in the United States and everywhere else. We need to be praying for our leaders constantly, in order that we might continue to have the ability to witness to Him. For there's one God. There's one mediator between God and men. The men. Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. He says, for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And he says, I desire that every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. We're called to pray. We are called to pray for favor, that we might find favor in the eyes of those who, who have earthly positions over us. We're, we're called to pray for that. Because if we can have that, if we can find favor in the eyes of, of uh, earthly leaders, then we'll be able to live in peace and we'll be able to continue to proclaim the gospel. But we have to live that out in our own lives as well. It's a trickle-down. It's not just we're praying for them to have mercy on us and to, to find favor in their eyes. It, we're called to that same life towards others, whether they're in the church or outside the church. We're called to have mercy, and we're called to be a people who are willing to extend the love of Christ outward to others. 